This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer, a beach bum summer, or a wake me when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door, in as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03 on Tuesday, January 3rd, 2023. Good afternoon, and thanks for joining us for the first WBBM Noon Business Hour of the new year. I'm Rachel Pearson, filling in for Rob Hart. Chicago Restaurant Week is back in a very big way. We'll cover that in our next segment. But first, that busy week ahead, it includes a big government jobs report, plus minutes from the most recent meeting of the Federal Reserve. Joining us with the details, Tom Hudson, a week ahead head columnist at McClatchy Tribune News Services based in Miami. And Tom, we heard from Ann Cates at Bloomberg mention this. We're hoping to keep a close eye on the Fed and maybe get some clues into the big uh, bank's next move. Yeah, we'll uh, certainly read through those minutes of the last meeting and the anticipated slowdown of the pace of the uh, Federal Reserve rate hikes expected here in 2023. We'll look for confirmation in those meetings from last year. But I think what will be more telling this week is going to be the JOLTS report, which is a job opening labor turnover number. That's coming out on Wednesday. And then, of course, the December report on non-farm payroll and the unemployment rate. I think those two employment pieces taken together will really be a bigger clue for the market about uh, the Federal Reserve coming up uh, later on this month with its uh, interest rate decision. And again, last month, we know that the Fed raised interest rates by about 50 basis points. Is that something that perhaps you're expecting something similar or maybe more aggressive? And and how do we softly land and potentially avoid a recession here? I'm so nervous. Well, well, yeah, you're white knuckled there on the microphone, aren't you, Rachel? (laughs) And a lot of investors are after a 20 percent drop in the S&P 500 last year, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and that's where some rewards could be taking place for longer-term investors that have a stomach for the volatility. I think uh, what we're likely to see in December for the jobs report is another slowdown of hiring, but still uh, economists are expecting like 200,000 new jobs added. Like in what world would a month of 200,000 jobs be considered a poor report for the American employment market. Well, in this post-pandemic world, in this world with 7% inflation, a slowdown in that job number is more conducive to a slowdown in the uh, of the interest rate hikes that the Federal Reserve has in front of it. Well, and you mentioned the pandemic. We know that the job market as a whole has just shifted entirely. Talk about the great resignation. We're having staffing mm-hmm. shortages. So yes, there may be more jobs, but that doesn't necessarily mean there's going to be people to fill them. That's right. Yeah, a lot of folks taking uh, the clue in 2020, 2021, when the market was higher, to take advantage and retire. Those folks unlikely to come back to the job market, certainly not in the capacity and the productivity that they once were. We're seeing that with uh, some of the job participation proportions that we've seen month over month, and just that continuous unemployment rate of below 4%. Again, in what world would we be worried about an unemployment rate of 4%? That is uh, the, the old school definition of full employment 
But we know the Federal Reserve instead is focused on fighting inflation and trying to get that 7% print down fast. I mean, this is a shorter week on Wall Street, but there's certainly plenty at play. Any other key points that we need to be keeping an eye on as we head into the latter half of this week? I think some of it is uh, looking at Washington and looking at the House of Representatives and looking at the uh, uh, political fighting happening within the the, uh, Republican Party about the speakership for the U.S. House. We know we have divided government, nationally speaking, over the next two years with the Senate and the House and the White House in different party hands. That can be very conducive. It can mean uh, uh, stagnation when it comes to legislation. But in terms of financial performance, it can actually be pretty positive, especially heading into a into a, a, a third a third year of uh, of a presidential term, which tends to be uh, a little questionable sometimes. Thanks so much, Tom Hudson, a week ahead columnist at McClatchy Tribune News Services. Coming up, a look at Chicago Restaurant Week. Money talks as the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Chicago Restaurant Week runs from Friday, January 20th through Sunday, February 5th. Joining us to discuss the 16th annual event is Izzy Karish, president of Hospitality Works and also known as the restaurant coach here in Chicago. And Izzy, we've seen sort of a, a minimized, condensed version of Restaurant Week throughout the pandemic. But what's going to make this year a little bit different? Well, this year is unbelievable. If you go to the Chicago website, there are so many restaurants participating this year. It's got to be three times, four times the amount in, than, than last year. So restaurants are very excited, can't wait to get people in, and uh, are, are really expanding what they're doing during restaurant week. So it's going to be very exciting. And again, this is great news for restaurants. This is sort of showing that they're ready for a new year. Big plans for 2023 as far as that recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic. But this is just a great opportunity for foodies like myself. There are so many great things to try. Help us understand the logistics of all of this. Do I need a reservation? How do I know which restaurants are participating? All that good stuff. Well, you can go into, I think it's chicagochoose.com, but just put in Restaurant Week 2023 and you will see all the restaurants participating. What I really love, yes, I, I call to make reservations. Some places don't take reservations, but what I like is that it's price, you know, kind of locked in. You're, you have $25 price range at lunch. You have 45 to $59 at dinner. This is not where restaurants make a ton of money. This is where restaurants invest in bringing customers to their restaurants. So you can go out every night of the week, spend $45 uh, for dinner on a different cuisine, something unique, a place you've already, you know, always wanted to try or a cuisine you've never even thought of. And, uh, you know, it's all available and it's not like you you have to worry about spending more than what they uh, advertise. So that's really a great feature. Well, it's great for, for the consumer's wallet, but I would also imagine that there's some payoff for Chicago restaurants. Even if it is a prefix menu, <laughs> chances are if you like what you have, you're going to come back and maybe try something different and probably spend a little bit more the next time. Yep, and that really is the investment on the restaurant's part. Like I said, they're not going to make the money they typically do, but they're going to get a lot more people to come in and try them. And I went on the website today, and one feature I really loved was that if you're gluten-free, they have a gluten-free button, boom, up comes a ton of restaurants focusing on gluten-free cuisine, as uh, along with you know many other uh, plant-based cuisines and uh, many, many things that you can try that you hadn't tried before. Well, Izzy, while I still have you here, let's uh, whet the appetites of our listeners. Let's talk about some of the restaurants here that are featured. Uh, 
Well, there are a ton of restaurants, the, the uh, uh, classic restaurants of Chicago, but, um, you know, you have uh, the Fox and Turtle, you have Nia, which is Mediterranean, you have Crosby's Kitchen, Harry Carey's, of course, uh, a staple in Chicago, and they're doing it uh, at Navy Pier, uh, the Beat Kitchen, which, uh, again, I've always wanted to go to. This is on my list for restaurant re- restaurant week. And, of course, Frontera Grill. So you have big options on places to uh, go from the high end to uh, the ethnic. And, uh, you know, uh, Indian has Bargoa, uh, you know, many, many to choose. So many, you, you couldn't get to them all this week. <laughs> and again, this is the 16th annual Chicago Restaurant Week. It runs from Friday, January 20th through Sunday, February 5th. Thanks so much, Izzy Karish, president of Hospitality Works here in Chicago. Up next, how about some tips on maximizing those travel credit cards? Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The only program dedicated to currency events. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Beyond cash back, travel is the most valuable redemption category on any rewards credit card. Joining us with advice on how to maximize those rewards is Ted Rossman, industry analyst at creditcards.com based in New York. And Ted, I've got a travel credit card. How do I make sure I'm getting the most out of it that I possibly can? I think it's really important to realize, well, first and foremost, we want to be paying in full to avoid interest. We definitely don't want to be paying 20% interest because that's going to be way more than the rewards. Beyond that, I think it's important to know your habits. Are you somebody who's really loyal to a specific airline or hotel chain? If so, getting their card can make a lot of sense. If you play the field, though, maybe get one of those transferable points cards. And those from the likes of Amex and Chase and City and others, they let you basically pool your points and use them with a much wider variety of airlines and hotels. And it's a nice way to keep your options open. Are any of those major uh, cards going to offer perks that maybe are different in 2023 or have there been changes into the new year? Because we've obviously seen a lot of volatility with the travel industry as of late. I think we'll continue to see sign-up bonuses that are good but not great, as in not record-setting. 2022 was actually a record-setting year for credit card sign-ups, not necessarily for bonuses. Issuers didn't have to overextend themselves. People were traveling anyway. They were applying for new cards anyway. So they've stepped off a bit from the arms race of super high bonuses. Uh, That said, there are still good deals out there. One other trend I see in the travel card space is proprietary lounges. This is something that Amex has done for years, but Chase and City or Chase and Capital One have actually only recently started dipping their toes into this. That's something that I think can set them apart a little bit. 
Um, also, a lot of issuers are really doubling down on their own travel portals where you get bonus rewards and other perks for booking through their engine, basically booking through their version of Expedia or Travelocity or something like that. If I'm someone that's looking to sign up for a, a travel credit card, I, I might be quite apprehensive just thinking about those interest rates. But are, are there any maybe introductory periods where, hey, sign up and it's 0% right now? Are we seeing any promotion like that? I would tend to separate rewards from interest rates. If you have credit card debt, I think it's a great idea to get a 0% balance transfer card and attack that debt with no interest for up to 21 months. Mm-hmm. Usually those best deals, though, don't offer rewards. So I would say get out of debt first and then go for rewards second. Thanks so much, Ted Rossman, an industry analyst at CreditCards.com. Still ahead, we'll have some tips on planning that multi-generational family spring break vacation. This is Chicago's News Traffic and Weather Station, News Radio 105.9. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rachel Pearson in for Rob Hart, and these are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Damar Hamlin of the Buffalo Bills remains in critical condition after suffering from cardiac arrest on the field last night. Kevin McCarthy, the GOP nominee to be Speaker of the House, but hard right lawmakers might stand in his way. Stocks are trading lower today. The CEO of Horizon Investments fills us in on what's up with Wall Street. WBBM Business, the Dow down 100. 70 points, NASDAQ off 110, and the S&P 500's down 29 points. AccuWeather says it is cloudy today with some rain showers and a high of 47. Temperatures fall to around 36 degrees tonight. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues as tragedy struck during Monday Night Football in Cincinnati. Buffalo Bills safety DeMar Hamlin collapsed on the field during the first quarter following a tackle. Medical professionals rushed onto the field. The game was suspended. Bills fan Bruce Sharp was at the game. Everything got dead silent. Uh, Even the Bengals fans, you know, you don't want to see anything like that. Uh, Certainly praying for uh, Hamlin's family. The Bills confirmed this morning that Hamlin suffered cardiac arrest and that his heartbeat had been restored on the field before being brought to a Cincinnati hospital. As Republicans take House control today, who will lead them remains an open question. Kevin McCarthy is the GOP's nominee to become Speaker, which would also put him second in line for the presidency. But he's facing entrenched opposition from some conservatives, perhaps enough to tank his nomination given a small GOP majority. For McCarthy, there are shades of 2015. Ultra-conservative members ousted Speaker John Boehner, and as Nancy Pelosi and Democrats wondered who would replace him. You and we will find out together. The GOP's hard right flank kept McCarthy from getting the job. He's trying again today and is expected to make concessions to holdouts in a bid to secure the spot. Sagar Magani at the White House. CNN is currently reporting it appears Kevin McCarthy will suffer defeat on the first ballot for Speaker of the House. Because money matters. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's the first official trading day of the new year and stocks are trading lower. Joining us with the latest on what's moving Wall Street is Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services and publisher of the Dow Theory Forecasts newsletter based in Hammond, Indiana. Chuck, great to have you with us. Let's first talk about what you're making of what you see on Wall Street today, sort of the the first real look at the new year. Well, it's kind of a continuation of kind of the downward trend that that we saw all through 2022 for the most part. Uh, Investors still aren't willing to kind of step up, at least today, 
and and to buy buy values here. The the buy on the dip mentality still seems to have gone away, and and we're seeing you know across the board here uh, in in value stocks, growth stocks, and especially in growth stocks, the Nasdaq being down over one percent today. So unfortunately, the the you know it's a new year, but it seems like it's the same old same old here with a downward bias. Let's widen our scope and sort of look at 2023 as a whole in the battle between growth and value. Who do you think is going to win really come end of 2023? I, I Probably still a value year. I think that when you look at uh, going into 2022, um, growth had really been beating value pretty handily for almost, the, you know, for much of the last decade. 2022 was a value year. I think 2023 will continue that trend. Uh, given that value still has a fair amount of ground to make up in terms of regression to the mean. So I think it'll be a value year. But uh, again, I, I think we're probably you know facing some pretty challenging markets for value and growth, at least through the first half of this year. Chuck, the Dow theory, obviously your area of expertise, it's, it's certainly bearish as we start the new year. So what's got to happen before things turn bullish? Well, what needs to happen, the first thing that needs to happen is you need to have either the, the Dow Jones transportation average or the Dow Jones industrial average hold their September lows. And the lows in the transports are right around 11,999, and the low in the, tra- in, the, in the industrials is about 28,725. You need those lows to hold, and then you need those two indices to go back above their recent highs. In the case of the industrials, that's 34,589. And in the transports, it's 14,649. The, the long and the short of it is we, we are at kind of inter- interesting potential inflection points for the, the Dow Industrials and Dow Transports. And that could be an inflection point for the, for the Dow theory. So I don't want to write off the, the ability for the primary trend to turn bullish. But the first thing we need is to have a successful retest of those September lows. And I think we're probably going to see, uh, you know, a, a more of a retest here in, in the next few weeks as the, the transports and the industrials um, move lower here in the near term. I think investors certainly have the idea of recession on their mind. I'm curious, let's pick your brain on on how the current Fed policy, we know that we're expecting minutes from their meeting. How's that going to weigh on the financial market going forward? Well, you know, it's going to continue to be a big a big factor. It probably was the biggest factor in 2022 in terms of driving the market down because the, the, the rise in interest rates gives investors an alternative to stocks in terms of, you know, fixed income. And when you can make a few more bucks on your money markets and cash, you're, you're going to move money there. So what the Fed is going to be doing here is going to, is going to play importantly in the market trend. And, and I think the Fed is still focused on trying to harness wage inflation, and they're trying to do that by slowing down the labor market. And that, that's going to take some time, I think, for the wage inflation to, to really start to come down in earnest below that 5% level and, and 4% level growth. So, you know, until that happens, the Fed's probably going to continue to raise rates, and that that's presents a pretty significant headwind for the market. With the holiday, we uh, missed our stock picker Monday on the WBBM Noon Business Hour. But your website, UpsideStocks.com, offers some insight. So I'm hoping maybe you can give us some juicy picks to kick off 2023. Sure. Our UpsideStocks.com hot uh, website focuses on kind of small and mid-sized companies. And I think that's an area that will do better relative to large caps in 2023. And two names there people can take a look at are Myers Industries. The symbol is M-Y-E. The stock trades for about $22 a share. They're in the materials handling entire distribution market. That's Myers Industry. 
M-Y-E. And the second stock is Esquire Financial. ESQ is the symbol. Trades for about $42 a share. It's a, in financial services, and I think that's an area that, that stands a, a pretty good chance of at least holding its own and outperforming the broad market in 2023. So that's Esquire Financial. ESQ is the symbol, and it trades for about $42 a share. Thanks so much. Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services based in Hammond, Indiana. Up next in Travel Tuesday, some tips for planning the perfect multi-generational spring break trip. Your best stock option. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's Travel Tuesday on the WBBM Noon Business Hour, and multi-generational travel is growing in popularity, and more families are opting to go on spring break together. We welcome Angie Rice, co-founder of Boutique Travel Advisors based in Scottsdale. Angie, maybe this is just something that I grew up being used to. My family, every summer, we would go to the Outer Banks of North Carolina. We'd split this gigantic rental home with grandparents, cousins, family, friends, but apparently this is just becoming even more of a thing for spring break. It is. I think it's this notion of wanting to spend time together that's going to create memories and that's going to allow for some fantastic interaction amongst uh, your youngest child to the oldest uh, in the family. So grandparents to their grandchildren and parents as well. So beyond sitting on a beach in the Outer Banks and hunting for crabs, what are some other popular ideas for these spring break multi-generational trips? Right. I think sometimes choosing a destination that might not be beach oriented or where everyone else is going. I mean, clearly cruises are very popular as well as warm destinations. But thinking about, wait, it's a great time to ski. Yes, it's the end of the season, but it also means it's warmer temperatures. But if there's snow, it's a great time to ski. In fact, I, my family tends to go skiing um, almost every other spring break and places like Park City, Telluride, Colorado. And if you want to venture even for, further north, Whistler, Canada is a great place to ski. What are some of the benefits of bringing grandma and grandpa, aunts, uncles, sort of having that larger trip together? I have to imagine that, that one perk would be sharing the financial burden of it all. Right. And I think the ability to mix up the itinerary. So there's going to be activities that mom, moms and dads are going to do with the kids. So let's say you have grandparents, and we'll use the example of a ski trip that maybe grandma and grandpa don't like to ski, or maybe one or two days of skiing over a course of a week is plenty of skiing for grandma and grandpa. Maybe it's, you know, parents spending time with their kids half a day, and then, you know, parents meeting up with the grandparents and allowing them to have some one-on-one time with the grandkids, and then everyone meets up for dinner. So this ability to kind of create one-on-one opportunities for the grandparents to be with the kids, as well as the kids to be with their parents, and then a great opportunity for mom and dad to have time alone, which, you know, when you're raising kids, it's it's hard to have that time, especially on a vacation when you're with your kids 24-7. Having those grandparents on board allows you um, to have a built-in babysitter when you're traveling. I mean, let's be honest. Family vacations can be stressful when you're spending every waking minute with your family. So as you mentioned, yeah, you can sort of uh, siphon it off, uh, spend a little bit of time with the kids here, spend some time with the grandparents there. I think that what would be most conducive, though, is making sure that there's there's different activities, as you mentioned, for everyone of every age. I agree. And I think multi-gen travel to urban cities can be a lot of fun as well. And you can really determine, okay, if grandma and grandpa are going to want to see the city, maybe it makes more sense to have a car so we can 
um, you know, go from point A to point B rather quickly without grandma and grandpa having to do as much walking. And then if there's a day where grandma and grandpa want to do things more leisurely, leisurely, maybe that's the day where you and your kids hop on the subway and navigate. I love the idea of visiting New York, Boston, um, D.C. during the spring break. You avoid the crowds of summer. You avoid the uh, the heat of summer and you're, a lot of the activities are indoors, visiting museums, visiting, you know, going to the theater in New York. And I think the 9-11 Museum, for example, is a great way to really um, educate your children on the patriotism of our country and for grandparents to share sort of their experiences during their decades of living. And so it really brings out great conversation for families when you experience uh, museums, destinations, culture, history. And I think that an urban city like uh, anywhere on the East Coast or is a great opportunity for families to engage each other. And it, it ends up being kind of an educational experience for, for everyone and passing along the stories uh, between different generations is a lot of fun. I can attest educational trips can be fun, too. Thanks so much, Angie Rice, co-founder of Boutique Travel Advisors based in Scottsdale. Her website, TravelBTA.com. You can join us at this time tomorrow for Personal Finance Wednesday. And still to come, we'll take a look at what's behind the decline in shares of electric car maker Tesla. Lunch money for all generations. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Shares of Tesla sharply lower after the company announced its fourth quarter vehicle deliveries, and it fell short of Wall Street's expectations. Joining us with the latest is Gary Kolpbaum, president of Kolpbaum Capital Management in Orlando, Florida. And Gary, stocks already tumbling more than 10% today for Tesla. So we, help us understand this fourth quarter deliveries report and what it means. Well, I wish I had some uh, Happy New Year news for Tesla shareholders, but uh you're in Murphy's Law now <laughs> in that since uh, the Twitter buyout, the stock is down about $700 billion in market cap, which is just stunning. And you're also getting some things industry-wide now, and that is the whole thought process about electric vehicles taking over the world doesn't look like it's going to happen. And the numbers for most of these companies are less than expected. And when you have such high valuations and you're very over-owned, and you're also in a bear market for these type of growth names. You get this type of action and these type of stocks. And it's not just Tesla. They got Netflix. They got uh, uh, Google. They got Microsoft. They got Facebook. They got pretty much everything. They're even getting Apple right now. So a whole host of things happen at the same time. Now, here's the thing. I mean, Tesla, again, reporting year-over-year -year growth of about 40% when it comes to its deliveries, but but that was not enough to, to make it. So I'm curious, you know, is this is this purely bad news? Could this also perhaps be a buying opportunity? Uh, I wouldn't buy it yet. There's something in the market called uh, momentum, and the momentum's downside right now. And uh, it's at like 106 right now. 100 is a big, fat number. If it breaks 100, there's going to be some more pain. And I would just wait it out to buy any at this juncture. The other issue is Elon Musk uh, paying a lot of attention to Twitter. And also, a year ago, he sold stock and said he wasn't going to sell anymore. He sold more nine months ago. He said he wasn't going to sell anymore. He sold more six months ago, said he wasn't going to sell anymore, and just did it again. So there's the Pinocchio effect also uh, about fool me once. So I think, you again, the combination of all these things, you see what's happening with the stock, and the stock is reality. 
Now, you're talking about this momentum. So so when do we start to see that upswing or what's it going to take to sort of get this stock back on track? Well, I'll simplify it. First, you have to see the stock stop going down. That's number one. And then you got to start seeing it build some stair steps. In other words, up three, down two, up three, down two. And you're not even, you're not seeing that right now. And you're just seeing a constant banging of the stock. And this is not Aunt Mary and Uncle Bob selling their 100 shares. This is the big institutional crowd fed up with him, fed up with the Twitter situation. And now an excuse to sell because of uh, even though the numbers are still strong year over year, they are decelerating and decelerating pretty quickly. Thanks so much, Gary Kolbaum, president of Kolbaum Capital Management in Orlando, Florida. You can check out Gary's website at GaryK.com. And if you missed any part of today's noon business hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at WBBMNewsRadio.com. It'll also be available on the Odyssey app. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. That clock at four. Donchich, the step back three, you bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.